Hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Devora Enten. I'm joining you on behalf of Yesh Tikva. I'm their clinical consultant, and I'm so honored to be joined today with, um, by Lisa Schulman. I'd love to have you introduce yourself. Um, let us know a little bit about your practice and who you are and what brings you to this conversation today. And I'll, how did you find this as your passion of working in the mental health area specific to, to infertility? So about 23, 25 years ago, I had fertility problems myself and um, I had been working not specifically in a fertility clinic, but I had worked with women who were trying to conceive and I worked in perinatal care and I did all sorts of other work. And I thought, I can't even help myself. How am I going to help people around me? And it was very, very difficult. And back then, of course, the technology was not as good as it is now. And there were a lot of difficulties on the way. I went through adoption issues and surrogacy issues and every kind of treatment and sur surgery you can possibly imagine. So I feel like I've kind of been there and done it all. So I completely understand how people feel. And I've decided just to dedicate the rest of my professional life to helping people try to build the families of their dreams. And so with that, I started a group called the Center for Family Building. And that's um, a group that I run my it's an expansion of my private practice so I can help people on a larger scale. And I'm very um, proud to be the Director of Mental Health Services for Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut. And it's a fantastic program and we have so many resources. So our conversation today, we want to focus there because you come with such a breadth of knowledge of all different aspects and avenues within infertility. Um, I'd like to focus our conversation today on moving from, or as you and I have just started to the conversation just before we launched today, that idea of considering adoption while or after going through infertility treatment. And I think a lot of people would say that adoption would be something that would be like either um, a plan B, right? Or something that I would do if I can no longer pursue infertility um, care. And what I'm wondering, first of all, from you, what are you hearing in terms of the standards from adoption agencies, um, my understanding is there are many that will say you have to be finished with treatment in order to pursue adoption. And I'm wondering, what do you know about that? And then let's talk a little bit about what is that emotional and mental health transition between um, fertility treatment and moving over to adoption? And how do you see or conceptualize that? Okay. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people might choose to consider adoption. Um, I'm speaking tomorrow at the American Society for Reproductive Medicine's um, group and um, conference on um, primary uh, ovarian insufficiency. That it can be one of the reasons that people decide that they have to think about a plan B. Um, there can be other reasons like pursuing fertility treatment and not having success. There can be anatomical issues. There can be people who have faced medical issues like cancer. And so there are a lot of things that could happen to someone. And I think those, whatever those things are, they need to be considered because the person who's going through this process is not just going through the transition, but they're also dealing with the pain of whatever that issue is. And they need to deal with that. And I think it's really helpful to have a very well-trained mental health professional. I would not uh, choose someone who just out of the blue, but someone who has been trained through the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and is really familiar 
with these processes and can really guide them in a helpful way. There's a lot of misinformation on the internet and it's very helpful to make sure that you have the right guidance. So um, I think that that is key. And then I think the next step is to really think about, okay, well, what is my long-term goal? And if your long-term goal is to have a family and that desire to ha have a family gets to a point where it's become um, so strong and it's overshadowing your desire to have a genetically related child, that's when people think about either ovum donation or adoption or a sperm donation if that's something that's necessary for them, right? Um, because having a genetically linked child is something that is very natural and that people want and people often beat themselves up for saying, for wanting it. They think it's selfish or they shouldn't want it, but it's, a, it's part of human nature for us to want to produce and reproduce and to be able to have our own children, our genetically related children. And so to move from that position and then to say, I'm, I am so fed up with desiring that and wanting that and not having that happen, that I just really want to just be a parent already. I want to be able to go to ballet recitals and soccer games and just enjoy being a parent. And when you get to that point is very often when you say, okay, now it's time. I think now it's time to think about other choices. And, you know, as we discussed before, and uh, in another time, we'll talk about ovum donation and what that entails, um, because I think it's re really worthwhile discussing in the last, decade, it's, it's tremendous how many improvements there have been made in the, um, in the technology. And so I think that's worthwhile discussing. But for today, I think that it's, it's really valuable to consider if you're moving from fertility treatment to adoption, that it is necessary to think about the fact that you're grieving the loss of having a genetically related child, right? Either one of, one of those choices. Um, there is, in this November, in a couple of weeks, the Adoptive Parents Committee Conference, which is an annual conference uh, that I speak at every year for the last 20-something years, and it's, um, it's full of uh, presenters, and this year, of course, it's online. So again, to your point, there, there will be many more resources online, so I think that that's worthwhile going to. Um, but basically, there's three ways to adopt. There's international adoption, there's domestic adoption through an agency and there's independent adoption. And um, we can go into some of those details in a bit if you're interested, but basically these three different ways to adopt are all possible. Some are more difficult than others and they all require a lot of effort. If you want to, to adopt, then you need to decide, I want to adopt. And if you're going down that path, again, it's gonna require a lot of effort and time and energy, and so you have to pull your resources together. You have to decide, okay, if we're going down this path, I have to grieve over the loss of my infertility and grieve over the loss of all the hopes and dreams that I had, all the times that I felt like, well, you know, I'm, I might have a due date in, you know, the end of December, or I might be able to actually have a child with my, my who's the same age as my sister's child, or maybe I'll have a little girl and I'll name her Sarah or whatever you know, dream or fantasy you have. All of those hopes and dreams were part of your infertility journey. And all of those hopes and dreams are also going away with that part of your 
process of family building. It doesn't mean that you won't have a different part and that you won't have this new part, which is the adoption part of family building, which you will pursue and you can have a beautiful family. But that part of your family building journey is going to end and that need, requires some grieving over that loss. Now, I, does it, let me ask you a question. When you talk about the grieving over that loss, um, so I hear from you saying the idea that that the process of having a genetic child and that imagining, imaginal thinking of what that genetic child would look like um, shifts over to the parenting of a child, to be parents versus to biologically conceive a child or conceive a biological child, um, that that's where some of the kind of thinking shift happens. What does some of that grief space look like to you? What are some of the things that you have noticed people actually doing? Because I'll have people say to me, well, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to grieve? Is it just time? Is it therapy? What do you recommend or what do you see people doing in creating that shift in thinking from grieving this to wanting or to experiencing, you know, this other option? Okay. So, so I think for different people, it's different. Now, years ago, in the 50s and 60s, when people used to adopt, um, you would go to an adoption agency and they would say, you have to be finished with fertility treatment or trying to, to get pregnant at home. You have to grieve over the loss. And once you're all done, come back to us. And that is really an antiquated way of thinking about it. You know, people are desperate to build their families and very depressed. And it does help to feel like you're doing something. And I think a lot of people who are in fertility treatment can relate to this, that very often when you're doing something, it does feel better. So if you are doing things to help you on that journey to adopt, it can help you feel better because you are feeling productive and you're doing something for yourself. Now, having said that, at the same time, you're going to be grieving, even if you are looking at agencies and looking at attorneys and looking into international adoption, you're still going to be grieving. The grieving will look different for different people. So some people say to me, you know, it doesn't really matter how I bake a cake. If I bake it with a Betty Crocker mix or I bake it from scratch, it doesn't matter. It's still a cake. And other people, and I'm seeing someone who now, who went through a very, very, very long journey of grieving over the loss of having a, a um, naturally conceived child. And then when she finally was able to adopt and finally able to have her child, she still had to wrap her mind around it by making decisions about this child that we're going to like changing a name, doing some things that would make her feel better. As you know, you can take your baby to the mikvah, but there are all sorts of things that she needed to do to get her mind in place to feel like, okay, if I do this thing and that thing and the other thing, I can really embrace parenthood and I can really feel a sense of agency over having this child be my child. And I can really feel ownership over my role as a parent. And for some, so for some people, it takes a really long time. And for some people, it's short. And everybody else is kind of in the middle. And everyone. Yeah, I would also imagine um, what I understand is this, the sense that this grief process is something also that doesn't necessarily have a beginning, a middle, or an end. That the process of, we, we need to recognize that the grieving of what, what was not given, that inability to conceive or to carry a child, is something that will always be part of this woman's story. And so while she may go on to parent in a different form and fully embrace and fully honor 
that relationship with these with this future child, there still is always part of her story that is sad that she is unable she was unable to fulfill this dream. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about what that might look like. I would imagine that you would be seeing that that sadness or that kind of resolution still part of her story in the long run and that she can still kind of hold both at the same time that sadness over I never did get to have a biological child but I also got to like nail it with my you know and have an amazing experience with my parenting of of a, of a different child. Yes so yes so and and you see this fade over time right so the the grief is very intense in the beginning and and then it fades over time but that time can be short or that time can be long. And, and for some people, they may be parenting and they might feel like I'm really enjoying my family. I have my two children who were adopted and we have this fantastic family together and I'm loving doing things that I, I always wanted to do with my kids. And then, you know, I'm, I'm walking down the street and somebody says, oh my God, your daughter looks just like you. And then I feel this little twinge in my chest and that hurts because I feel like, gosh, I wish I had loved my child. I don't want a different child, but I wish I could have given birth to her. I mm -hmm. wish she was genetically connected to me. I wish I could have had that. And so, and that also happens with people who use ovum donation as well. There is this sense of a loss of having that genetic connection and being able to have that dream that they once had. And you do forget about it. You forget about it when you get busy in the process. You forget about it when you're parenting. But it might come back a little bit at a time. But it will fade over time. Over the course of time, that intensity will, will fade. Just like the pain fades from other losses, right? If we lose our grandmother, maybe she's our you know, favorite person in the family and we're devastated when she passes away and then we think about her at special times and we think, I can't wait for the phone to ring or I wanna tell her something. And maybe we're sad every moment we think about that. And then maybe at some point we think about her on her birthday or we think about her at special occasions. And then maybe we look at her at photo albums and we see pictures of her. So it starts to fade, that pain starts to fade over time. And I think honoring that and honoring that you need to value the dreams that you once had and you need to be able to give yourself that space to be able to have those feelings is crucial. It's very important because it will come out sideways. If you don't allow yourself to have that pain, you're going to have back aches or stomach aches or sleepless nights or other issues. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't also do other things to remedy that. I think that's, you know, there are other things that you can do. You can do meditation and have therapy and do all sorts of things to remedy the symptoms. But you have this undercurrent of grief that is continuing to operate inside of you that is dragging you down all the time. So unless we deal with it directly and we're able to really manage those feelings and accept them and let them in and let ourselves process them, they will continue to, to come up. Mm -hmm. And so want to make sure we address them. Do you feel like people should complete their fertility um, treatments before pursuing adoption? Do you have an opinion on that? I think everyone needs to do what they need to do. I have seen lots of people do multiple journeys together. They decide that they want to use, I, I had a, a family who used donor egg and adoption at the same time. Mm -hmm. She 
she was adopting a little girl and she was she knew the baby was coming and then her donor egg um, process worked and she was pregnant and I said, well, okay, are you going to then hand over this birth mother to another family? She said, oh no, I'm still gonna adopt that little girl. I really want, so she had these two little girls and she was very excited and that worked out beautifully for her. I really think everyone needs to do what's right for them. Mm -hmm. There's no right answer. I think that everybody's just like some people say, you know, I really want one child and that's it. And I feel satisfied with one. Some people feel don't feel satisfied until they have four. Right. And and I don't think there should be any judgment around that. You know, some people say, well, I should be grateful for the children I have. Why do I want to have more children? Well, it's not an either or. You can be grateful that for the children you have and also want more children, right? It's, it, it, you're entitled to have your dream fulfilled. And I think that's what we're, we're put on this planet to do is to fulfill our dreams and be the best people we can be and be our full selves, whatever that means. So if we're not our full self and we're not honoring our full self, we're, there's always going to be some discomfort. There's always going to be something that's not right. Let me ask you, if you were to give guidance to families that were couples that had come to you and they said, you know, we've been doing infertility for two, three years, infertility treatment for a few years, and we're really um, kind of, we've never considered adoption. We've heard too many horror stories or difficult stories, or we don't have the finances really to invest in adoption. What would you, what would you, how would you guide them? Like what would be, obviously everybody's story is, is unique and different, but what are some of the ways that you might help encourage them to think more broadly if you feel like that's a value? Is it something that's a value to think more broadly about parenting and growing a family versus giving birth to a child? success stories and I've heard stories that are not successful right and so it's really not my place to determine what somebody needs or doesn't need what I do is I lay out all the options for them I share with them everything they need to know about adoption what are the pros and cons to each process to each different road that you might take what are the long and short-term implications for each decision? What are the costs and the timeframes and what type of baby are you planning to get um, in terms of race, in terms of age, in terms of all of those things? Um, and then I compare it with um, whatever reproductive medicine they might wanna use like donor embryo, donor eggs, or donor sperm. And we compare all of those things. Mm -hmm. And for some people, some people say, oh, I could never do this that I could never do. And other people say, oh no, I can never do that. And it's one person's not right and the other one's wrong. They're both right, right? They're doing what's right for them and they have to decide what's right for them. For some people, cost is everything. And for other people, cost is the least important thing. Some people want to be able to have the baby that they can carry. Other people don't care about being pregnant. Right? Some people really feel that they would like to, they like the process of adoption and they really enjoy it. Other people don't really feel connected to it. So I just lay out all the information for people and then I let them make the, the decision that works best for them. And, it, and everyone's reactions are very different. I mean, I, I constantly see people react in very different ways. Right. And I like to see both partners if there are two people there because sometimes one person will say, oh, I really like this idea. And the other person will say, no, I don't. And so then they have to discuss what they're going to do. And sometimes that involves some negotiation in the couple to make sure that they're both going to have their needs met and to try to help them. 
but we have we try to whittle it down to what is most important for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that can be a number of things for different people. What I think you're really highlighting is the need to make sure that the people that you are consulting with really know all the options, not just these option options, but the options of donor, you know, of donor conception, the options of donor embryo, donor egg, donor sperm, whatever the options could be, surrogacy plus, like you really need to be able to meet with somebody who can give you everything and really lay out the information rather than, you know, just meeting with an adoption agency who can, or, you know, people who could guide you on adoption. You really have a lot of other options today, you know, in 2020, 2021, we're going to have so many more options available that are more within reach than they ever were before. Um, I think that's part of the mental health conversation is if this is happening so frequently, then how are we addressing the mental health needs of donor conceived children as well as donor, con donor conception parents? Um, and it's, it's just fascinating to see how the whole, you know, how the, the landscape of fertility care is really changing and shifting, but the need to have somebody who really is knowledgeable and skilled is of, of essence when dealing with these complex issues. Um, so as we conclude, I'm wondering if you could give, you know, kind of like highlight three top pieces of advice for a woman or a couple who are saying, um, we are, we are thinking about adoption, but we're not sure. Um, what might be the, the, the top three things that you would guide them in or recommendations or suggestions or pieces of advice? Well, I think the first thing to, to do is to consider, and this is the most important thing to do with regard to this issue, but to, with regard to a lot of issues. Um, I even counsel people about egg freezing, and this is a very important question to know. Are you someone who could have a child who's not genetically related to you? And that's very, very important because that will determine what you're going to do, what your family's gonna look like, what your medical decisions are going to look like. It's going to change everything. So that's the most important question first. And then if they are willing and interested in perhaps considering, yes, I could have a child who's not genetically connected to me, we have this whole world that's open to you. And once that whole world is open to you, can we lay out some of those possibilities and start to look at them and explore all the pros and cons to help you decide what's your plan? Because ultimately, if you're willing to have a child who's not genetically connected to you, and this is very important for people to really hold on to, even if they're going through just going through IVF and they're feeling stressed about IVF, if they are willing to have a child who's not genetically connected to them, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They don't have to worry, I'm never going to have a baby. That, they don't have to worry about that anymore. That is off the table. They will have a child. If they're willing to consider other methods, then they will have a child. And I find that people, even people who are going through fertility treatment unsuccessfully and are very stressed about that, they can really hold on to that as something that can really ground them because they always have this backup plan to have a family. And so I think that's really nice to know. Beautiful. I think that's very, and do you have a, a, a two or three or we'll stick with just one? Totally your choice. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think those are the most important things to know. Okay. Um, and, and the most important places to start really. And, mm -hmm. you know, just to make sure that you need um, and you get a really helpful guidance and also support. You need both of those things. You need yeah. guidance to get, usher you down the right path and you need support to try to help you 
navigate your journey in the best possible way because our emotions will steer us off course and they can affect how <clears throat> we choose a birth mom, they can affect how we choose a, a donor, they can really affect how we make decisions and we don't want that to happen because if our emotions are all over the place, we're not going to make the best decisions for ourselves. Excellent. Excellent. So really, um, maybe just in, a, in kind of a wrap up is talking about making sure that we're taking care of taking care of yourself when you're going through this process and making sure I think um, to make sure to take care and pay attention to the relationship. I think one of the things that I've learned in working with couples is how quickly the relationship can get kind of pushed to the side as we become very unifocused on treatment. And then we wake up pregnant. I, I see the client who wake up pregnant and the marriage is in shambles. And you're kind of going, how did we get here? I'm finally pregnant. And this person that I want to share this pregnancy and, part and relationship with is like gone. Like he, he you know, is not involved. <laughs> um, he's sleeping in the other room. So ha making sure, really kind of reminding, reminding everyone to pay attention to your relationships, but also pay attention to your own um, self-care. And not just self-care, like make sure you get massages, but pay attention to your mental health. Pay attention to how are you caring for yourself emotionally? Are you being kind to yourself? Are you being compassionate to yourself? Are you finding space to um, take care of your physical, emotional, social needs? Um, and really, if things are difficult for you in those arenas, what are you doing to get the help that you need in order to bring that back into creating a more whole person rather than a person who struggles with infertility and forgets to care for the person, the woman or the man behind that story? So just, um, you know, I, you have any final thoughts on that perspective? Yeah, I think it's very, um, it, it, it can be very confusing for people to think about caring for themselves because they think caring for themselves means that they can just crawl under the covers and stay there all day. Mm. And it's not going to help you, right? Um, yes, right. there's a time, there's a time for that and there's time for a good cry and all of that. But yes, you need, it's very important to nurture your relationships because those people are going to be around forever. And the people who are important to you, even if they're really annoying to you when you're going through your fertility treatment, it can be helpful to try to get some guidance about how can I manage this relationship so maybe I am not hurt as often or so that I can shield myself from you know these negative opinions that I really don't want to hear or that I can make sure that I don't get to every, you know, new birthday party for, you know, 20,000 babies in the neighborhood. So how can I do that? But also not, not isolate myself because yeah. if you isolate yourself, then you're right. You absolutely can, you know, destroy some of these relationships that are very important to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you.